Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and they got into the boat and they went over the sea. Remember, they're on the east side of the Galilee. Now they're going to go toward the west. Notice, toward Capernaum, which is a fishing village. And it was already dark and Jesus had not come to them. Because Jesus had went up to a mountain to pray alone. And he told his disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side. All exclaiming, Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. The disciples set off across the Sea of Galilee because Jesus told them to. Several of the disciples were fishermen, all accustomed to fishing on this very lake. When they got into the boat, the thought of rowing across the lake at night didn't concern them. However, there was a storm approaching. This actually was the second time Jesus dealt with his disciples on a stormy sea of Galilee. In the first storm, Jesus was present with them in the boat, and he rebuked and calmed the storm. In this storm, Jesus asked his disciples to trust his unseen care and concern for them. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must always trust his unseen care. Now here's Pastor Rob. But at what cost? So Jesus, he's not just a military, he's not a military conqueror, he's not just a meal ticket even though they wanted to crown him king. Later on, we'll see, next week, we'll see in this gospel, where Jesus would say to these people, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs or the miracle, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. I'm not just a meal ticket. I'm so much more than that. But man, unfortunately, we're fickle, aren't we? We just kind of go where the source is, where, where, wherever we have the needs and the need is met, we go to that place. And everyone cries out when they are in need, But when the need subsides, we're back to our normal, ornery selves, selfish selves. Do you remember 9-11? It crippled us for a, a time, and then we got back to our normal selves again. Many people choose to follow Jesus. They wanted to put a crown on his head. But what Jesus are you following? What are your reasons for following Jesus? I've said this before, but if your Jesus allows you to continue in heterosexual fornication, is that why you're following him? Or if your Jesus that you've made up in your own mind allows you to continue to remain homosexual, and it's okay. There's a problem with that. Our culture has made a God out of love and all of its all of its ramifications. But love without God's boundaries is what? It's rebellion. It's sin. Our culture is trying hard to redefine marriage. Redefining so many words. You notice that? Everything is changing. Everything is being redefined. Marriage, what love is, what love isn't. 
Much of what is loved today is nothing more than just lust and self-gratification and selfishness. And there are many pastors in the country who support this thing. They'll support homosexual unions and same-sex unions. Because they think it's okay, parishioner, are you going to embrace it? Just because your pastor may say something and, and may say that it's okay? Or are you going to read the word of God and know what the Bible says? And if you do, you'll know that that is not okay. Are you going to believe if the Pope says it's okay for same-sex unions? Because he has. There's an article. Pope Francis made his comments about civil unions in the film called Francesco, which was created by a homosexual film director, Evgeny Efanevsky. The film premiered on October 21st of 2020 on the occasion of the Rome Film Festival. And speaking of homosexual civil unions, the Pope said, What we have to create is a civil union law. That way we are legally covered. I stood up for that, he said. He stood up for that. You have a problem with that. Which is greater, your definition? Or the culture's definition of love? Or God's definition? The one who defined it, the one who is in the embodiment of it. What are the reasons that you are searching for Christ? What are your reasons for following him? To just get a a full stomach, to maybe some blessing to help you along the way in your life? My reason is pretty simple. (laughs) I don't want to go to hell. Does anybody here want to go to hell? Raise your hand. I don't see too many people raising their hands. Yeah, none of us want to go. My reason is simple. I don't want to go there, but I know that he loves me, that Jesus loves me. He died for me, and I want to give everything to him. I want to give my life to him, the first fruits of my strength, my, my heart, my life, everything. I want to give it to him. He alone deserves it. I want to go to heaven where there are pleasures forevermore, holy pleasures, not the pleasures of the earth. What does it say in Psalm 16? David says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What are your reasons? At the end of the age when the church is removed and the Antichrist comes into power, He'll perform miracles, make grandiose promises, give a false hope, and people are going to flock to him. They'll gladly crown him king. And he will gladly be crowned king. Coupled with all of this, people will worship him. Or there will be no buying or selling or anything unless you receive a mark on your right hand or your forehead. We looked at that when we were in the book of Revelation. And I believe that what happened this last year was just a preview, a foreshadowing, a dry run, if you will, of what's coming. And we are being conditioned for that very thing. Thank God the church will be, the real church, the church of Jesus Christ will be removed prior to the Antichrist unveiling. The Bible says that. We will be removed But I believe there will be more of these pandemics that we've just gone through that have really changed things. They are the perfect pretext to force us into submission and many other things. Why do I believe this? Because Jesus said so. What did he say in Matthew 24? 
Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. These are things that will precede the tribulation period. Even now, we're starting to smell it. You know, like when you're, if you're at a campsite, which I was recently, you're walking down the, the path, and you can smell a little bit of something in the air. It smells like somebody's cooking chicken. And as you get closer to where the, the source is, it start, you can really smell it. Well, we're smelling it right now. We're picking up the vapor, and pretty soon it's going to be a cloud all around, and the church will be removed before that cloud, but we're already starting to smell the remnants of these things. But this pestilence is literally a plague. These th- this whole thing was very effective, what happened last year, and the powers that be. Back in our text, verse 16, what does it say? Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and they got into the boat, and they went over the sea. Remember, they're on the east side of the Galilee. Now they're going to go toward the west. Notice, toward Capernaum, which is a fishing village. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Because Jesus had went up to a mountain to pray alone, and he told his disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side. The other Gospels tell us that. In fact, In Matthew chapter 14, what does it say? That immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain to pray by himself. Now when evening came, he was alone there. And this is why, again, why it's good to to read all the gospel accounts of a certain event because you put them together and you get an understanding of the meaning of everything. And when you fit them all together, it's a wonderful jigsaw puzzle. So I'd encourage you to do that. It says in verse 18 in our text, It says, Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. A great wind was blowing. A storm had come up. And in Matthew and Mark's gospel, when you read that, it tells us that Jesus came to them walking on the water at the fourth watch of the evening, which the fourth watch is somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., because 6 p.m. to 12 or to 9 is the first watch, 9 to 12 the second watch, 12 to 3 is the third watch, 3 to 6 is the fourth watch. So we're talking early in the morning. Have you ever been in a situation where you're in a boat that early in the morning because of some calamity that's happened and you're out there? And I've been in situations like that on the Gulf of Mexico and it really brings you to an end of yourself. And there they were, out in the middle, and this storm came up. And you know what's interesting is Jesus knew that this storm was going to come. And he knew, and he saw his disciples as he was there praying on the mountain. He saw them toiling and rowing. And he could have allowed it not to happen. He could have kept it from happening. But they had just finished this Wonderful miracle of the feeding of the loaves. And isn't it true that sometimes right on the heels of a victory, of some kind of spiritual awakening, there's always a trial right after it? I don't know, but it seems like that is often the case. And God often uses trials to cause us to grow and depend upon him. He may not keep the trial from coming, but he will be with you and with you in and through it. We see that in Daniel chapter 3. Remember when 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, more often known to us as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue, that they were thrown into the fire, into the furnace. They were thrown in there, and they weren't burnt. The only thing that burned was the ropes that were on their hands, and they loaded them up with all their clothing. They were going to be like candles. They were going to be like fireplace kindling in that furnace. They were going to go up immediately as soon as they got in there, but it didn't happen. Only the robes burned off. And then Nebuchadnezzar, being puzzled by this, he looks in and he sees that there's someone else walking around amidst the three of them. One who looks like the Son of Man. And who was that in there, in the trial with them? It was Jesus. And they, they were just fine to stay in there. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar's getting all bothered by it. He commanded them to come out. But they're like, no, we could stay in here. That's fine. Just But he brings them out, and the Lord often allows these trials so that we will grow in our faith. Just as these men, these seasoned fishermen, are going across the water, a trial immediately arises in front of them where they're in peril. The sea rising. I'm sure that they could all swim, but guess what? When you're, if you're out of shape, you've got to swim a couple miles, you better be in really good shape. So verse 19, it says, So when they had rowed about, the King James has 25 or 30 furlongs, which is equivalent to about three to four miles. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were very afraid, and naturally so, because it's never occurred before. Have you seen anybody walking on the water? Can you imagine... I thought about this as I was sitting in my hammock overlooking the lake and just picturing myself out in a boat trying to cross and the wind and the waves are just coming and thinking, this is it. <laughs> and then to see somebody walking. And the other gospel accounts say that Jesus was, he was, at, he was walking as if he was going to continue walking past them. That's a puzzle, isn't it? Sorry, you guys are in such a problem. Doing fine out here. He allowed it. He allowed this trial. And notice what it says in verse 20. But he said to them, and, and again, they were, they were afraid. They thought they had seen a ghost. Because it defied physics. The galley is deep. But Jesus said to them, it is I. Literally, he said, I am. Does that ring a bell? He said to them, I am. And for every Jew in that boat, all of his disciples, the Lord is like reeling them in like fish. You want to know who I am? I am. <laughs> who are you? I am. Do not be afraid. That ought have brought them to an understanding of what he is, who he is. He's none other than the Logos, the Son of God, God in the flesh. Exodus 3, remember, Moses says, Indeed, when I came to the children of Israel and I say to them, this is the encounter when Moses saw the burning bush that wasn't consumed, but Jesus, God, was speaking to him through that fiery bush that was not consumed. And Moses is having this 
dialogue with the Lord, and he said to God, Indeed, when I came to the children of Israel, when I come to them and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. It's my name forever. But Jesus said, I am. And again, very probable that Jesus allowed this just to reveal his deity to his disciples. To reveal that he had command over all of nature. I don't have the ability to stop the rain. God can give that ability. He gave it to Elijah for it to stop for three and a half years. I don't have that unless God gives it to me, empowers me for his purposes, not my own, because my own are very selfish. I wanted to walk across Lake Sacandaga that day as I was really in a crisis of obedience. Or not in a crisis of obedience. I was in a crisis of, I think I can do this. But Lord, if I don't, I'm going to hurt my feet really bad because I'm going to step out on what I think is glass and I'm going to hit the bottom with all those rocks. But not for my own selfish purposes. For his purposes, he can do it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Because where John's gospel here in verse 20, where it it ends, Matthew's gospel in chapter 14, verse 28, picks up where John leaves off here. And this is significant. Because Jesus did the most notable miracle of walking on the water. But now look what it says in Matthew 14. It says, verse 28, it says, that Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, come. Can you imagine that? Lord, if that's really you, cause me to come. And Jesus is like, what's, what's, what, why are you waiting? Do it. Come on. Come on, Peter. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw, notice, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Now Peter, other than Jesus, as I said before, is the only person in history to walk on water. And yet he's the one who denied Jesus three times. He's the one who is impetuous. But he's the only one. Where were the other disciples? And what were they thinking when Jesus says, Peter, come out of the boat? They're going, (laughs) watch this. I can't wait to see Peter get wet. He's going to fall. He's going to sink like a lead right to the bottom. We'll see what happens now. And, And to much to their chagrin, they're like, Jesus gives Peter the ability. And notice, as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus and his focus, he was fine. But when he started to look at the wind and the water and the waves and started to get unnerved about these things, the very natural things that are very natural to us, that's when he began to sink. How many of us have been willing to do the same thing? And how come the other disciples didn't want to do the same thing? Can you imagine what would have, would have looked like having a bunch of men walking on the water? Can you imagine the people on land when they finally got over, if there was somebody on land seeing this group of men with Jesus walking on the water? 
That would have been a day to remember, certainly. How many times does something seem impossible and we don't even ask the Lord? Let's not let the impossible, although it is very natural for us to do that, let's not allow the impossible to keep us from asking. It honors the Lord, doesn't it, when we put him above all natural processes that he has created. May the Lord grow our faith, mine as well. May he grow our faith. Because I'm not where I want to be. I'm not yet where I want to be. And I know you probably feel the same way. But notice in verse 31. It says, Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, Peter believed in the Lord. He trusted in him and had faith enough to walk out on the boat, walk out of the boat onto the water. But it was only when he began to see the waves and those things. And again, notice that this happened right on the heels of a spiritual victory in a sense. A miracle, a notable miracle where their their eyes were popping out of their heads and their jaws were dropping for what Jesus had done. And there is a lesson here, and it's pretty simple. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Even right now when the whole world seems to be reeling and, you know, like a drunken man. Keep your eyes, church, on Jesus Christ. He's the only good news. He's the only truthful news you will ever receive. His word is true. Didn't he say that? My word is truth. So therefore, it behooves us to read his word. If we can do that, the things of earth will grow strangely dim. If we can keep our eyes on Jesus, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Isn't that the song we sing? So when things around us begin to fall apart and the wind and the wave, the waves, the circumstances of life are challenging us, buffeting us, tearing us apart, causing us to lose sleep, the calamities that are all around us. If we get our eyes off of Jesus Christ, none of the problems, we will seek to solve them in our own strength. But what a peace there is for the believer who can consistently do this, who can keep their eyes on Jesus and to trust him. What does it tell us in Proverbs? We know this verse very well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, disciples, as you're looking at the boisterous water. You know this very well. You've grown up with this. But now you've never done this. You've never stepped out onto the water, Peter. You've never done that. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Not with your understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. He will direct your path. Sometimes it is like that. Sometimes our lives are like that. Our Christian lives are like that sometimes. And it's not blind faith. I don't believe in blind faith. Because the Lord will cause you to step out and it's not blind because of you know who it is that you believe in. And sometimes you're forced to step out where there seems to be no ground underneath you. Uncharted territory. If you haven't been there, and most of you have, you will be there from time and time again. But even though we don't like trials, they are important in our walk as we grow because they cause us to exercise faith and trust. As these men are walking, you know, going across this Galilee, it was a trial for them.
That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.